I'm glad he knows my name, amen. I'm glad he knows everybody's name. And that means that God gave everybody an opportunity that ever came through a mother's womb to be saved. And um, he knew you before you was ever even born. And he loves you and wants to save you. If you're here today and you don't know him, he wants to know you. But he can't know you if you're going to run from him. So you need to run to him because he's waiting on you. And I hope you'll do that today. I... uh, Going back to Israel this week, uh, it was always a joy of my life. It's harder now for me to do it. I wasn't even sure I could. I thought I might be in the Jerusalem hospital. But as it turned out, the Lord was good, gave me grace. I baptized 20 in the Jordan River. And um, one of them, after we got through, I had... We had several folks with us that wasn't from our church. Um, when I got through, there was a guy from Detroit, Michigan, and said, would you baptize me? I said, are you saved? Yes, sir, I am. I said, I'll baptize you. And I baptized him. So I can't remember his name, but I got the privilege to baptize somebody from Detroit, Michigan. And if anybody needs Jesus, Detroit, Michigan does. Amen. <laughs> so I, I thank God for that, and I thank God for the privilege to to do that, I, um, I, I need to tell you something so that um, you'll understand why. I never miss services here. Over 38 years, the only time I miss a service, if I'm preaching somewhere else, and I don't even take Sunday morning revivals except once a year, only other time I'm gone is in Israel. And I've quit taking Sunday morning revivals because of that. And so, Sunday night occasionally, and for the last two or three years, I've not done that because I've not been able to. I've just been doing one-night conferences and things. And, um, but I've got to board a plane as soon as I leave um, church today or the middle of the evening and uh, go back to Jacksonville. I tried to get a late flight. There was just not, not none going that way. And so I'm going to have to board a uh, flight headed back to Mayo Clinic, and I'll be there uh, through Wednesday afternoon, and I'll be home Thursday morning. But um, they are set up to thoroughly do all the clinicals, all the blood work, all the CT scan. They have, you know, they see some things that they think that maybe Vanderbilt and others have missed. And so that's why I'm going, and this is my last trip. If I nobody finds anything, I'll just... Go crazy with you, all right? We'll go crazy together. How's that? But uh, we, uh, I just ask for your prayer. Uh, don't like to miss church. And uh, these are, I've missed more these last two weeks than I ever have in my whole ministry combined in a month. So, but I understand our young men did well. I understand our other young men, our staff did well. And they'll do well again this week, just two times, and I'll be back next Sunday. And from then on, hopefully, uh, till Jesus comes. So turning your Bible today to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. I can go to Israel. I have absolutely no sinus problems. I have absolutely no allergy problems. I have absolutely none of those things. I'm serious. I, I didn't have any problems. Never even feel better over there. 
My joints feel better. Everything feels better over there. And in that arid climate that they have, they don't get much rain. But the moment I set foot into Tennessee, and I'm not, I'm not kidding, before I could get home, I was sniffing and snorting. And uh, so I know I love this. I love Tennessee. It'll always be my home. But I just wish God would move a little of Israel's climate here to us, and it would help some of us. I'm preaching on the eight judgments of God, and today we'll be preaching on judgment number five. Um, I'm going to call today, this is the judgment of the chosen. That's what the title of our message today will be, the judgment of the chosen. Our eight judgments of God has been, first of all, the judgment of the cross. And second of all, the judgment of confession. And thirdly, the judgment of chastisement. And fourthly, the judgment of the church. Judgment must first begin at the house of God, right? And the judgment of the church. Well, we're coming to now one of the more difficult ones, uh, and people struggle with this interpretation. Some, some takes this as two judgments, and I see it as one. So we're going to see the judgment that's normally called the judgment of the sheep and the goats. I'm calling it the judgment of the chosen. Do you have Matthew chapter 25? Yes. Look at verse number 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. Now you think about that. Before him shall be gathered all nations. That doesn't mean everybody in the nation. That means that the leaders of all nations will be gathered there. And he shall separate, separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. And then shall the king say to them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When, when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and coming to thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, and as much as you have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now, I'm going to preach all the way through verse 46, but that's the reading of our text today, so let's bow in prayer. Lord, this is a difficult text to help people to see. I have to use other passages to make this passage come alive for them, so help that to happen today, help folks not to get bored, help folks not to get distracted, help folks not to be um, non-focused, and help the Holy Spirit of God to just somehow capture our attention to what you want to say to us today. And I thank you, God, for the judgment 
of my sin on the cross. I'm glad that all my sin was put on you and you became my sacrifice. And I thank you for that today that I've been covered in the blood and that all these folks that saved here today has been covered. They've been atoned for and they're right with God. They quit fighting God and started loving God. And we thank you for that. Now bless this message in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm calling this the judgment of the chosen. There's a reason for that because this is the only judgment mentioned in the Bible where God takes the sheep or the saved and the goat or the lost and divides them before his throne. It's the only place in the Bible you'll find that that judgment there. It's just not anywhere else in the Bible. It's not a, ever a, another judgment you'll find that divides the good, the bad, the lost, the saved in, at the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. All other judgments was either all the lost people or all the saved people. Remember? It was one or the other. But this judgment teaching is still a part of the Olivet Discourse. Now, when, I, when I'm talking about the Olivet Discourse, as we stood on the Mount of Olives this week, we talked about that second longest sermon Jesus preached in the Bible, first one being the Mount of Beatitudes. You remember that sermon? And this is the second longest sermon he preached in the Bible. And so when we get to chapter 25, he hadn't left prophecy. He's still preaching on what the disciples asked him in Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. He's still answering those questions, okay? So when we get to that, uh, God speaks. He sometimes, when he speaks, he spans ages in one sentence. God can span an age, 2,000 years, 4,000 years. He can span ages in one sentence, God can do that, and he does do that in the Bible. And let me show you a couple of places. Look at the book of Joel, chapter 2. Look in the front of your Bible, and you can find it. Book of Joel, chapter number 2, if I can find it. All right, have you got it? I want everybody to see this. Book of Joel, chapter number 2, and I want you to look into verse number 28. You have it? And it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, and upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Now, when did we see that? Pentecost, right? I have Pentecost. Today the church is born. But look, listen, he don't stop. And I will show wonders in the heaven and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord has said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Do you see what he does? He spans, we know at least 2,012 years or they go by the Jewish calendar which has 360 days in it instead of 365. And so we, we see where God 
takes the book of Joel and spans several thousand years just in four verses. So God can do that. Another one is in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 9. You can find that, and I think you'll be very, very familiar with this passage. It's the passage we use at Christmas all the time. Isaiah chapter 9, for unto you is a child is born, and to us a son is given. Thank God for that, right? And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Oh, me. There would be some folks really offended by the fact that they said government. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government. And peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. And then the Lord said, the zeal of the Lord shall perform this. In other words, the passion of God is going to do what he said he would do right here. But it hasn't happened yet. He spanned from Bethlehem, do you see this? He spanned all the way from Bethlehem's baby to the millennial monarch. He spanned all the way from uh, an humble Jesus to an honored Jesus. He spanned thousands of years of years. So you, when you read the Bible, you will see that. So I want you to keep that in mind as we study. And it says the zeal of the host, zeal of the Lord will host will perform it. And he speaks if we should believe it. When we read that last line, the zeal of the Lord of hosts to perform it, he speaks that like it's as good as done. I mean, God said it, it's as good as done. Tell your kids when you get home, that's going to happen. He said, well, that hasn't happened yet. You tell them it will, it's good as done. It's as good as done. And so when God says that, I believe it. You say, well, it hasn't happened yet. No, nope, hadn't happened yet, but it's as good as done. I, I trust what God said over any politician. And when Jesus says he's going to rule over this whole world and his government be on his shoulders, I'd rather the government be on his shoulders than anybody I know. Amen. So, I want you to look first of all, write this down, the dissension of Jesus. Now, I'm going to wander around today in some scriptures, but you've got to stay with me to understand this passage. The dissension of Jesus, go back to Matthew 25, if you've lost it, is in verse number 31. When does this happen? When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. So what we're seeing here is the descension of Jesus. The disciples saw the ascension of Jesus. But now we're, he's telling them that they're also going to see the dissension of Jesus. And so, the, this is not the appearing. The rapture, that's a different term. Always when he's talking about the rapture, he'll use the word appearing. He will not use the word coming or coming to the earth uh, uh, to get us from the ground. We all fly and meet him in the air. Well, listen, folks, if you don't believe in a rapture, you can't explain, explain half your Bible. 
So, so that's what. So this is not not that at all. But this is His descension from heaven to earth. Now you say, when's it going to happen? Here's when it's going to happen. It's going to happen after the great tribulation, and it's going to happen before the great millennium. So the gap between the great tribulation. And the thousand years that we call the millennium, which means millennia, uh, it will be in that time. The church is going to be raptured. There will be seven years of tribulation. Then there's going to be a thousand year reign of Christ on this earth. And this judgment is after the tribulation. You you get a little touch of that in Matthew chapter 24, uh, verses 29 through 31, I think kind of makes that clear. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, and he goes on to tell, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and they shall see the Son of Man coming. And verse 31, and he shall send his angels with the sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So we know right there that it comes after the second coming of Christ. And when he comes the second time, first thing he's going to take care of, you remember, is the battle of Armageddon. Now he's not done. That, that closes out the tribulation period or what's called the great tribulation period. So it's going to be after the great tribulation before the great millennium. So the church will be raptured, seven years of tribulation, thousand years of rain, and the tribulation is basically as an addendum to the Old Testament. It is what God would have given Israel had they been obedient. It's an addendum to the Old Testament. The church is the mystery that is unknown during the duration between their disobedience and his coming. That's why the, in the New Testament he keeps revealing things to the church because the church is the mystery. Look at Daniel chapter 9. Look at Daniel chapter 9. I think I, it's in my Bible. Here you go. Daniel chapter 9. Y'all with me? Verse 24, I'm giving you plenty of time. Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined on my people and on the holy city to finish the transgression, make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. That's Jesus. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah and the Prince shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks. Now a week here, biblically, that is interpreted what we call years here, all right? And the Bible says that the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks and the streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince shall come and shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood to the war. Desolations are determined. So, in other words, we have a gap right here. The Antichrist sets up, middle of the, middle of the great tribulation after three and a half years, 
he kicks the Jews out, begins to persecute them and kill them by, by the hundreds, and then sets himself up as God. So God said in verse 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That means seven years. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. That's what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to stop the sacrifices, which, by the way, is an abomination anyway. And they didn't need those sacrifices. You go to Israel today, oh, we're going to build a temple. They've already got it. We've got, we're going to all start sacrificial system again. I said, well, what about your sin now? Listen, if it took, if it took a offering every year to help you be freed from your sin, what are you going to do about these last 2,070 years? And, of course, they always come back with the question. They think they've been good enough that they're going to be not going to say you're okay going in. And you're never convinced them any different. But that's what the Antichrist is going to do. And that is determined, and it should be poured out on the desolate. So, that's when, after the great tribulation, when, before the great millennium. Now, where will it be? Where will this judgment be? This judgment is going to be on earth after the battle of Armageddon. Then the thousand years of earthly bliss in paradise on earth shall begin. Now, let me show you this for those that don't believe it, and I'm not going to read every passage because I hope you'll go home and open your Bible and get to studying it, and this stuff will be all over you. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 3. The Bible says they're going to throw the devil into the bottomless pit, and I'm going to be tickled to death about that, that he should deceive the nations no more. Did you notice what it said? Deceive the nations. You know who's in charge of our nations? Leaders. You know who's in charge of our leaders? The devil. That's right. And he laid on, and the scripture says, I saw thrones, and they that set them, judgment was given to them, and I saw the souls of them beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, and neither his image, and neither received mark on their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. In other words, every tribulation saint that died because they wouldn't take the mark, but they believed in the cross. God said that they're going to live. That means God's going to resurrect them, and they're going to reign with him. Now look at verse 5. But the rest of the dead live not again till the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Now that's after the tribulation, those people were still left alive. Now, look at verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. I'm glad I'm in on that. Now look, on such the second death hath no power. But we don't stop there. We're not going to hell. That's good. That's real good. That's real, 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 real good. That we're not going to hell. But listen, it's going to get even better. Look, we're not only not going to hell, we're going to be priests of God in Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. That's what the Bible says. So, where is it going to be? The earth. And I want you to go sometimes when you have time to the book of Micah. 
which describes this very well in chapter number 4. Read all of Micah chapter number 4. Read, all of, uh, read the first four verses of Micah chapter number 5. And then today, I just want you to go to Zechariah. I haven't got time to go to Micah because I preach almost the rest of my time there. But I want you to go to Zechariah chapter number 14. Are y'all still with me? Okay. Zechariah chapter number 14, verses 1 through 5. Behold, the day of the Lord. That always means the day of the Lord means he's coming back in judgment. You see, when you, when you heard in the Old Testament the day of the Lord, that was a fearful thing. And, the, and some of the Jews, when the Gentiles got saved and got in the church, was in 2 Thessalonians, there's a whole book written about it where they were trying to scare, scare the devil out of them by telling them all these kinds of stories that wasn't true. It wasn't true. And what he's saying right here in this particular passage, the day of the Lord cometh and thy spoil shall be delivered. That meant they will never, ever be in the day of the Lord. In other words, I'm not going to be in the day of the Lord. I'm going to be with the Lord in the day of the Lord. Okay? Now look, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken. Now listen, this is Jerusalem. We were there this week. The city's going to be taken. I know one I hope's taken. There's one Muslim I hope he gets first. If not, when I get my white horse, I'm going to ride up and whisper in Peter's ear and say, get that guy. Because he threatened to throw me in jail. I don't like people getting my face. They don't get in my face. But he was taller than I was. Some machine guns hanging around. I just thought, Pretty good idea to just do what he said. So I backed up. But uh, notice what the scripture says, Zechariah. He says, I'll gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be taken. And the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Now, he's already won. He's already won the battle of Armageddon. Okay? Already won the battle of Armageddon. So now he moves down to the Mount of Olives. And all these armies that still left, they're gathered around Jerusalem, and they had taken Jerusalem. That's what happens here. And, and then look what he goes on to say. And his feet shall stand that day on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east. Now, anybody in Jerusalem can see the whole Mount of Olives. So they can look over there and see Jesus on his white horse. Okay? You, some of you don't believe this stuff. It's going, you're going to it. Right. Some of you didn't believe Donald Trump was going to win the election, but he did. <laughs> I didn't believe he was going to win it, but he did. And look, east, the Mount, is going to cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half toward the south. And every, in other words, right in front of Jerusalem, right before you go through the gates, the mountain of olives is going to split wide open, and there's going to be a valley 
that's over 16 miles, that goes over huge mountains, that goes to the Dead Sea. Dead Sea, nothing can live there. Nothing lives there. But the Bible says in Ezekiel, men's going to be fishing in it. (laughs) Hey, when Jesus gets on the throne, there's life. There's life everywhere when Jesus runs the show. Our, our country could have some real restored life if we'd let Jesus run the show. And so uh, the Bible goes on to tell us in verse 7 and 8, but it shall be in one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day or night. It shall come to pass at evening time it shall be light, and it shall be in the day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem. That's what I was telling you. Half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea in the summer and the winter shall it be. He's talking about the Mediterranean and, and the Jordan. And the Lord shall be king over all. Say all. all. Say it again. All. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day there shall be one Lord. And his name's not Allah. And his name is one. One. There'll be no other gods. I could talk to you a lot about that, but you go study it for yourself. Number three, who will it be for? Not the church. Church already been judged, right? We've already studied that. We had the judgment of the church. But it'll be for those who are left alive after the tribulation. Here's what I believe. I believe that the weapons will become primitive again because so many things will be happening during the great tribulation that folks will be throwing rocks at each other and shooting bow and arrows and throwing spears and slingshots and those kinds of things. We're going and swords and spears and, and pitchforks. We're going to go back to that kind of fight because we've got nothing else. I'm not when I say we, not me. But notice, notice the church is the one who this judgment is not for. It is for those left alive. After the tribulation, the church is caught up. This is not, it's not the church. 144,000 Jewish evangelists is going to preach, Revelation 7 says. So don't you call God, God no mercy. In the worst period of time, when people have done everything but spit in God's face to his face, We've lived every way we wanted to live in this world. And God gives us day after day after day. And finally, he raptures us up here in a few minutes. And we're gone to heaven. But he's not done. He wants everybody to be saved. He loves the world. So he gets him him, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. And he gets him 12,000. My God this week said he knew which tribe he was in. He didn't know which tribe he was in. I said, how do you know where we got this book that wasn't a scroll? How far does it go back? thousand years. Oh, that really helps. That really helps. It was destroyed over 2,000 years ago. So what does a book a thousand year old mean to anybody? They don't know. They just guess at it. They just put it together. They take the tradition of their fathers and stick it together. And so... Um, what happens here, he gets 144 Jewish evangelists. They're going to preach. They're going to preach all over the world. Well, he's not done. He still wants people to be saved. So he calls him two prophets. 
And those two prophets is able to breathe fire, turn water into blood. I mean, there's some, some bad dudes. And, but then all of a sudden, the Bible said, those that hate them, they kill them. They take over and kill them. And they leave them in the streets of Jerusalem. This is in Revelation chapter 11. If you don't believe, I'm telling you the truth. And so CNN's there. And you don't expect them to ever report the truth. But this is something they just can't miss. So CNN's there. Along with NBC and ABC and, and NBC, you know, and you know, I don't know, ABCDF. I don't know who, but everybody's going to be there. Fox's going to be there. They're all going to be there with their eyes on it. They're not going to pick them up. They're not going to bear them. not going to do a thing. But after three and a half days, those men whose bodies ought to be rotting and decaying left laying in the streets of Jerusalem. They don't rot and decay at all. In fact, God gives them brand new life. And up, 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 he said this, come up. And when he said come up, they came up and they watched them ascend into heaven. Now, friend, if you can't get saved after that, you don't have a heart. And so all of those who had never, you say, well, I didn't think you could get saved in the great tribulation. You can't if you've ever heard the gospel and been convicted. Now, now you can if you've heard the gospel, but you can never be saved in the tribulation if you've heard the gospel and the Holy Spirit's convicted you. You can read it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10 through 12. It clearly tells us that. If you're here today and you're not saved and you say, I'm not going to, I'm your worst enemy. I'm your worst enemy because you can never, ever say to God, you didn't have a chance to be saved. Nobody up here can say it. Nobody down here can say it. We can't say it. Nobody in this building can say it. Not only that, nobody in the world can say it. But uh, he just don't seem to be through yet. He ain't done yet. God so much wants to see people saved. It's the end. It's about over. There's only just a few more seconds to be ticked off. And so in Revelation 14, 6, he gets him an angel. And an angel can't even be saved. And he flies through the whole earth and preaches the gospel where every tribe and nation and dialect will hear it. There'll be nobody anywhere that we'll not hear the gospel. So don't come, we ain't one about those poor people over there in Africa that don't get the gospel. Some of them have been more evangelized than you. That's right. We go, we go mission trips to the places everybody else goes because we know it's safe. Just saying. Who will be with Jesus? Matthew 25, 31, Matthew 24, 31, uh, 24, 31 says the angel's going to be with Jesus. Who else is going to be with Jesus? Saints going to be with Jesus. Because how do you know that? Folks, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 13 says, when he comes, he'll come with all his saints. Now, if he was coming down here to judge his saints, how could he come with all of his saints? Whoa, I'm, I'm, mm, mm, mm. Don't fuss at me about that one. You cannot get me on that one. And by the way, I, I, I got something else, you know, for you too. 
Zechariah 14, 5 basically says the same thing. And Revelation 19, 14 also basically says the same thing. The saints are going to come with Jesus. So you better be a saint and not an ain't. Y'all ready? So I believe the 12 apostles is going to rule Jerusalem. And I believe we'll rule the world according to the crowns that we received. You see, you didn't think too much about that crown message I preached. But you'll get to rule the world during the millennium according to the crowns you received. And you said, ah, you can't can't prove that. Yes, I can. You read Matthew 19, verse 28. And you read Luke 22, verses 28 through 30. And then you read Luke 19, verses 14 through 17. And Jesus promises his disciples that they'll sit with him judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The rest of us, who are we going to? We're going to, we're going to control the rest of the world. We're going to be glorified, justified, sanctified policemen. It's our job. Now, I don't know where you'll get, and I don't know which city you'll get. I'll probably get some slop bucket city, you know. But Jesus mingled among the disciples after he was glorified. So now let me say that some people want to associate this judgment with the great white throne. It cannot be the same if Jesus mingled with his people. Let me give you the differences. I'm doing it quickly. I'm just about done. Number one, the great white throne is somewhere out there. Okay? The, the throne of glory is eternal, but this judgment is earthy. There is the throne in space because he says, heaven and earth shall flee away. So at the great white throne judgment, there will be no planet earth. None. Some of you say, well, I'm going to, I ain't going to church. I'm going fishing. There's coming a day you ain't got nothing to fish in or fish with. You're standing before God. There it is. And notice this. At the Greek white throne, it's the resurrection of the dead. But here the subjects are alive. Notice it's a great white throne. It's after a thousand-year reign. But at this one, it's before a thousand-year reign. So Jesus is going to tear down all governments and rule himself. You can find that in Jude, verse 14 and 15. And so I'm going to get number two, three, four, and five, and we're going to get out of here, all right? And you can go to Cracker Barrel and do what you want to. The second thing I want you to notice about this particular passage of scripture is not just the ascension of Jesus and I could preach on that all day the ascension of Jesus what a wonderful thing it's going to be when he rides that horse and explodes through that gate the place where it really was and marches up to the temple the place where it really was and sets down on the throne 
and rules the world from a little place called Israel. I'll give you the second thing, the division of the sheep and goats, verse 32. God's going to divide them from each other at this time, verse 32. Only judgment where this occurs. You don't ever see a division. It's only judgment in the Bible where this occurs. One is separated from the other. You just don't find that anywhere else in the Bible. That happen, this happens here. Third, uh, uh, thirdly, there's the distinction of the sheep in verses 33 through 37 of chapter, Matthew, uh, cha- chapter 25 of Matthew. When you read verses 33 through 37 of, chapter, uh, of Matthew, here's what you get. Number one, the shepherd knows sheep from goats. You know what goats do? They butt. But. Because every time you try to talk to them, all they want to do is but, but, but. Now, an old preacher told me a long time ago, don't ever shoot at a goat because you'll miss and hit a sheep every time. And that's the truth. You don't go after the goats. You go after the sheep. And so, notice what he says. The distinction of the sheep, the shepherd knows sheep from goats. Why? Goats is unruly. Goats cannot rest well when there's sheep around them. And goats does not feed well with the sheep. And yet, if you go to Israel or most any other place, you'll find mixed in with the sheep goats. Why? Because sheep are stupid. And the sheep don't know how to find a pathway, and they don't know where to walk, and they don't know what to do, so they put a goat with them so that goat can lead them around the side of a mountain so that all they do is just follow that old goat. That's why the goats is with them. Not because he's a sheep. He's just mixed in there. So Jesus knows who the sheep is and who the goat are. And look, not only that, he, put, he puts them on the right hand. The right hand was a place of favor. In other words, that means they had been accepted in the beloved. Number three, they were blessed, verse 34. According to Daniel chapter 12, verse 11 and 12, there's going to be 45 days unaccounted for. So those 45 days, I believe, is going to be spent in this judgment, at least part of it. And then he calls them blessed. Not only that, he says they shall inherit. Now, folks, you can only receive an inheritance unless you're in God's family. And we are joint heirs with Christ because we've been saved. So he's saying when he sets these sheep, these are righteous sheep. These are saved sheep. And notice what he said. It's prepared for you. Now, they were not going in on the basis of what they'd done feeding somebody. No, 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 no. That, that, that had nothing to do with them going in. But here's what that had to do with. They, let, they did all of those things because of who they were. Because sheep is, are sensitive to those things. Goats don't care. I, I, I've, I've come to believe in church. That's why you got so much button going on. 
I'm going to be honest with you. Just keep button because it's not going to bother me one bit. I got a hard head just like Ezekiel, and I can butt back. Now, listen, I don't want to butt with Jesus. When Jesus says something, I don't say, but Jesus, why did you do that? Uh-uh, uh-uh, don't butt with Jesus. So, so look, he said this. Let's look at the description of the sheep. Well, first of all, look, look at the righteous. He calls them righteous in verse 37. Now, how do you get righteous? All our righteousness is filth, filthy rags, so what kind of righteousness did they have? His righteousness, right? And you can find that in Romans 3, 25 and 26, Romans 4, verse 3 and 5, and then Romans 10, 10. That is one of your verses that all of you soul winners use all the time, right? Romans 10, 10. How would you, if, you, if you're not a soul winner, y'all look at it. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. So everyone that Jesus said on the right with their mouth had confessed and with their heart they had believed. They hadn't worked their way to heaven. They didn't go to heaven for all these things. They might have got crowns because of it. No, they're still here. I'm almost done. So then he gives a description of the sheep in verse number 40. The very nature of a righteous sheep is to care about their brothers. And he's especially referring to the Jews here. I got, a, I, got, I, you know, I, got, I got an ugly email when I got back. Some dirty, that nobody goes, no, none of you. I don't even know where they live, don't know nothing about it. And just got over a funeral I preached. Said I wasn't a preacher, and I would I mean, you know, all kinds of things. And so, you know what I said? I'm going to delete that because that's a goat. <laughs> and that's a goat. And, and that's what happens. Because 1 John 2, 29, 1 John 3, 7, and 10, he makes it very clear. If you don't love your brethren, how can you call yourself righteous? Look, when he said the least of the brethren. He wasn't talking about the people that gets all the attention. He's talking about the people that got no attention. Look, they were needy in food, needy in friends. Listen, when we have a new member coming to this church, instead of you running out with your little clan and gossiping about what this happened and that happened and talking about the football game yesterday and talking about something that happened at work this week, why don't you hightail it over to a new member that you don't know and love them and love them and love them? Instead of sitting there with your little click. I don't know them, and I've just got this personality that don't meet people. Anybody can walk up and shake a hand and say, hi, good to have you, unless you just can't talk, and then do it in sign language. There's some needy folks in our church. They need friends. They need somebody to love them. They need somebody to care about them. They need somebody to invest some time in them. So needy friends, needy in clothing, needy in health, needy in prison, 
See, he wasn't, now listen, he wasn't talking about being on mobile patrol here. I don't even believe in that. I don't think that, I think that's the sorriest thing that's ever happened. They don't, not to put anybody's face on a picture anywhere until they are proven guilty. So I'm against it. You can write me down, tell them all. Now, if you've done something wrong, you deserve to be in jail. But look what he's saying. These people were what he's really talking about, persecuted sheep. Persecuted sheep. So these, these acts are well defined. And I, I say just three things and I'm through. Acts 17, verse 6 and 9, there was a man named Jason. The disciples, two of them, came to his house. He received them and loved them and ministered to them and cared for them because nobody else had a place for them. That's where they slept. But they left and went on their way. And when they did, the people of the city and the guards of the city came into Jason's house and they took everything he had, stripped him of all of his goods and beat him up. Folks, I believe we'll see that in the real near future. If you align yourself with people who are in love with Jesus, those things may well happen to us. Look at the destiny of the sheep, verse 46. The righteous have life eternal. But look at the damnation of the goats in verses 41 through 46. There was no chance to do or undo or redo. They were just going to hell. Now, hell wasn't for them. Hell was for the devil and his angels. But if you're determined to be a goat, that's where you're going. And that's one place I don't want you to go. Because I was heading there one day. And I hand of grace reached down. And kept me from being a goat the rest of my life. And made me a sheep. You said you've always been perfect? <laughs> no way. Not in close. But I trusted one who was. And he's took care of me ever since. And I don't worry one second about where I'm going as a sheep. I know I'm stupid. I know I ain't got sense enough to find my way home. But I know one who does. And that's where we put our trust. He's the good shepherd. He's the, he's the chief shepherd. But the Bible says, most of all, he's the great shepherd. Have you trusted him? Have you, have you trusted him? Do you believe any of this stuff? It's going to happen. Jesus said, just count it down. The zeal of a of the Lord will perform it. You remember when Jesus said, destroy this temple three days, I'll tear it down. Remember, build it back again. You remember what he said? Destroy this temple in three days, I'll build it back again. They said, 46 years we've been building this temple. What do you think you can do in three days? Jesus said, 
Uh, and in that particular passage, it talks about the zeal of the Lord that had eaten him up. In other words, he's so passionate. He was so burning in his heart about what he was going to do. None of them had a clue until they hung him on an old rugged cross. And three days later, he brought that temple up. And that's what he wants to do for you. He wants to bring you out of your nasty filth, wash you white as snow in the blood of the Lamb, and send you out of here saying, bah! not but, but, but.